You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number three. I'm your host, Tim Takis, and today we're talking about RICA. And RICA is the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act. And today with us is Chris Johnson, a partner here at Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law, to tell us something about RICA. So, Chris, tell us some more about what RICA is and why it's important to our clients. Absolutely, Tim. So, as you said, it's the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act. And what it does is it provides compensation for individuals that were involved in our nuclear testing from post-World War II until the early 60s. And it's actually exceedingly fascinating. It's a little slice of history that a lot of people don't know about. But as we were uh, developing the nuclear weapons that uh, that we have that kind of keep our country safe, the uh, there was a lot of testing that went on. They just didn't know what the dangers were from them. And so there was a lot of above ground, what were they called atmospheric testing. And I think people have all seen those videos from out in the Pacific where you see that big proverbial mushroom cloud. Well, there were people out there. When, whenever you see a video, a camera of it, remember there was someone behind that camera taking that video and there were people on those ships in the testing. And we actually did some here on the continental United States and it, it furthered the program. But I think uh, for a great period of time, they didn't understand the inherent dangers and in what they were doing. I'm just thinking is, is that if you're my age, you know, getting near the retirement age, I remember a lot of those videos where a bunch of guys in glasses and goggles and, you know, and the, you know, they would get a, a, a blast of radiation. And I mean, who knows how dangerous that was? Oh, it's unimaginable. And it, 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 I mean, if, if it weren't so serious, it would almost be humorous that we, they, they gave them goggles. Like here, yeah. you're safe now. You uh-huh. have some goggles. Right. And so what they're trying to do with this program it was passed back in 1990 uh, was to compensate those individuals uh, for dealing with certain medical conditions. And it's uh, amongst others, there's a whole bunch host of lymphomas, gallbladder cancer, breast cancer, lung cancer, stomach cancer, urinary bladder cancer, thyroid, a whole host of them. And it's a presumptive conditions list. And they have it two different lists for two different categories. Okay, so back up a little yes. bit. And you just mentioned presumptive conditions. Yes. I, I don't understand that. Oh, let me unpack that a little bit. So presumptive conditions are, in order to qualify for this, you had to be a participant in this testing and you have to have a qualifying condition. And that is a medical condition that they have some scientific certainty that this testing more likely than not caused your medical condition. And so that presumptive condition list means if you have a medical malady that is on that list, they are going to assume that this uh, exposure to the atomic testing caused that and not make you have to prove anything. They're just going to say, yep, we believe we caused this and we're going to compensate. So you turn up sick at the the VA hospital or wherever you are, Mm -hmm. or even just not a VA hospital, but presumably wherever you may be, you know, and if you can prove, I guess, something, you know, maybe you served at a certain period of time or at a certain place. That's exactly. The government pays you? Yep. So there's three things they look for you to prove in every claim. 
One, you are who you say you are, and it seems almost silly, but you do. You have to show your birth certificate and that you are the person making the claim. The second is presence in the proverbial hot zone, and that is I was on site at the atmospheric blast. I was a uranium miner at one of these mines, or for some of the people in the continental United States, and this kind of surprised me a great deal. For, they call them the downwinders. And those are people who just lived in selected counties that were downwind of some of this testing and therefore dealt with some of the after effects of the radiation. So these are civilians too? Civilians too. Okay, so you, don't have to, so you don't have to be a member of the armed services or anything to maybe qualify for this benefit? Not at all. And in fact, with the uranium miners, there's a, uh, I believe it's a Department of Labor program for them as well. And so for some of these programs, there's more than one. There's very much overlapping systems to make them whole. So this RECA program is done through the Department of Justice. As we're well aware here, you can also file VA claims with the Department of Veterans Affairs. And what they will usually do when you have kind of competing programs, they will do what's called an offset. So if you take the RECA plan, which is a uh, for someone who's an on-site participant, it's a $75,000 flat fee compensation. If you later apply for VA benefits, what they will do is they will approve you but they will wait to make payment until $75,000 worth of payments would have been made and then they will turn it on. Gotcha. Yep. So it is it, the hard part almost always. Proving who you are is pretty easy and the com- compensable disease because you either have it or you don't. Right. Your doctor writes a, a letter, mm-hmm. provides some medical diagnosis. Presence in the hot zone is always the sticky wicket. And yeah. it's the sticky wicket because these records are 40 or 50 years old. And when they were done, remember, this was all top secret stuff. In fact, most of the on-site participants, they were actually sworn to an, what's called an oath of secrecy under pen, penalizable by a fine and up to 10 years in jail. Yeah. So some people didn't even know they could talk about I mean, this. It, that almost seems to me almost an impossible burden to overcome. So how, how are we... How are we finding out that these people are actually, we're in the hot zone? Well, like a lot of things you got, the first thing you have to do is ask. And so anyone who served in the military uh, between the late 40s uh, through the early 60s, it is always worth asking and not only just worth asking, but noting to them, if you were involved in this and you were sworn to an oath of secrecy, like I said, most of them were, it is letting them know that President Clinton actually revoked that oath of secrecy and they are free to talk about this and talk about their experiences in it and talk about their medical conditions so that they can go out and get the help that they very much need. Okay. So now we, we've had clients that have had RICA claims. Correct. And, um, it not only applies to the person that's exposed, but is it also a benefit to a, a spouse or a dependent? It definitely is. And so the first person is obviously the participant themselves, whether they were a uranium miner or an on-site participant, a downwinder. But should that person who have sadly passed from one of these compensable diseases, then what they have is an order of precedence. And it starts with a spouse who is married to the claimant for at least one year mm-hmm. prior to the claimant's death. Then they, if uh, the spouse is also deceased, then the children step into the shoes in equal shares. Uh, after the children, you have the parents and then the grandchildren and then the grandparents. And so there's just an order of priority. Now, not every one of those people gets a check. What happens? 
happens is it's the first level where we have someone of priority, and that'll be the person who mm-hmm. steps into the shoes. So grandchildren can benefit also. Grandchildren can benefit. And and frankly, rightfully so. When you look at the history of these mm-hmm. testing and the science that goes in behind it, they will see, much like the Asian orange, they will say that some of the effects, these effects are generational, and that mm-hmm. because it does, some of it alters the DNA and re- really yeah. has generational effects on the families. And so it's a good thing that they've made stipulations to allow for those uh, kind of more attenuated claims. Is this just a dollar benefit or is there something else that a person can get? No, for the RECA, it's just a dollar benefit. And so it can be between 75,000 or actually between 50,000, 75,000 or $100,000, depending on certain criteria. So the downwinders are $50,000. The on-site participants would get compensated with 75,000. And then you have the uranium miners who can get a hundred thousand dollars and it is it is a direct deposit you you fill out the application and getting those records i want to come back to that records because that mm-hmm. that is one of the hardest things to do and for those of us that uh request records from the national archives and whatnot we all know there had been a fire in one of the warehouses mm-hmm. and records are missing and so what you do is you piece together what you can and so if you have a picture of your veteran spouse who was on ship Use that picture, you know, it'll, it'll have a whole number and then you can look up. And so I just dealt with one recently and it, it's fascinating to get into these because it's a real historical window. And so we want to get every piece of evidence we can uh, to show them that they were here during these dates. And so you take the dates that they were in service and the dates maybe they were on the ship for those that were in the Pacific testing zone. And then what you do is you take a look at the testing dates and you try and overlay them. It's very much like a Venn diagram and you're trying to show presence in that hot zone. It is much more difficult, but the DOJ and the VA are supposed to aid. This is a non-adversarial process. And if you can give them partial information, remember, they have access to their own sets mm-hmm. of records. And it's their job to provide assistance with that. And and they do. It's just a manpower issue. There, there are a lot of claimants out there. So let me ask a lawyer, a lawyer to lawyer Fire question away. here. And, and that is, is that is the VA or the Department of Defense, are they supposed to give the benefit of the doubt to the to the uh, to the to the claimant or the applicant? They're, or? they're looking for kind of the preponderance, the more likely than not. Okay. And that's what, because it, it, it should, they should be able to get it to some degree of certainty yeah. with the records, but they should be giving the benefit yeah. of the doubt, especially when the records are missing. Yeah. And that's where you submit. If you have a friend who was there with uh-huh. you, have them submit an affidavit that says, I was there with them for the testing and this is what I remember and this is what our unit was. And they are supposed to take every one of those pieces of evidence in order to build the claim, but Mm -hmm. they should be able to, if they can identify you and put you in a unit, that's the critical piece because they have the list of units and ships and were they exposed or were they not exposed. And so that is really where the nexus gets there is putting them in the unit in the timeframe. So one of our takeaways here is, is that if you, if you believe yourself or, or a family member, maybe who is now deceased, Mm -hmm could qualify, don't give up. No, never, never give up. And in fact, there's probably more urgency now than at any time because this program is, although it's been around for a while, it's it's little known. It's paid out a significant amount of money. Mm-hmm. It's over $200 million in mm-hmm. claims that it's paid out. But the number of people that would qualify for it are probably much greater than the number of the claims that have been made 
but the program is due to sunset in 2022 unless Congress acts to extend it. So we got two years. So how do we get people to, how do we get people to benefit? What can they do to benefit from this program? Well, I think how do we get started? What they get started is the first thing they have to do is they have to ask, you got to have the conversation. And so we just, we had another client that we we said we looked at the time frame and the parameters. We said, you know what, we should ask and scratch the surface. And sure enough, it turns out they were in a ship that was doing atomic testing in the Pacific. And I was online finding the history of the ship and you find little fascinating nuggets, things that it's funny that things that happen in our history that probably wouldn't happen now. That mm-hmm. ship I saw after its testing was due in for an overhaul and the uh, the breakout of the Korean War took away funds from the ship's overhaul. And so they weren't going to be able to do everything to get the ship ready to go back out. And the crew actually got together and did the fixes themselves, like finding things around the shipyard that didn't cost any money. I mean, okay. could you imagine people yeah. fixing it? It's, it's funny stuff right. when you get into it, but right. you have to ask the question and then you have to find the documentation. And right. that is uh, making a request on eVetrix to the National Archives and getting their military records. And I always say three things. DD-214, official military personnel file, also known as the OMPF, and get their medical records. Get all three of those. Do you need a lawyer to do this? You can do an eVetrix request on your own. You just Google eVetrix and it's right there. It'll ask you to fill out a bunch of information. And then the thing that people miss on an eVetrix request is the last screen that pops up, it will have a barcode. You have to print that screen. Your request has been electronically submitted, but you still have to print it and sign it and mail it off to the National Archives because they need a signed request. Mm -hmm. So it gets them working on it weeks before your request actually, your written request actually gets there. Can you go to a veteran service officer, a VSO is what they, will they do it or? So for a VA claim, if you're going to go down the VA line, they likely will. If you went to a veteran service officer and asked them about RECA, I think it would really become hit or miss depending on whether or not they were, uh, even knew about this, knowledgeable on this, and not everybody is. I mean, this is kind of one of those little hidden programs there. Still another thing, another reason why not to give up. Never, never give up. Even if the VSO really doesn't know about it. That's right, because you have to find someone who knows about it and understands the mechanics of how to make it happen. Right. So, I file a claim. How long is how long is it going to be before I get paid? So what they say is they give themselves up to one year is what the Department of Justice guidelines are. Typically, what they will do is they will send you an acknowledgement that they've received your claim. And then what they will often do is give themselves 60 to 90 days if they need to request additional evidence. And when you get that request, they will tell you we would like this additional evidence within 60 or 90 days. Uh, and they try and do it rather quickly. But I've worked with their office personally, and they are still working things on their end and checking their databases. They're exceedingly professional. And uh, typically, like I said, they try and resolve things in favor of the claimant whenever they can. Great. Chris, thanks so much. We've been talking to our partner here at Take Us Beginners Elder Care Law about the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act. Uh, So, Come back and see us or come back and visit us uh, at our next episode. That sounds wonderful, Tim. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. 
You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com. Document downloads, the Tagus McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there, free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.